0: Hey, this is Ross with my partner Bob, and this is Worldview Matters. Bob, great to be with you again, my friend.
1: Ross, it's always good to be with you, and there's lots of things happening always in the world around us. And as we know, everything around us is somehow related to our view of the world.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we've been talking about a number of things. Last couple of times we talked about socialism. We moved from Islam to socialism, and we were going to continue today to do the same thing. But a lot of things have happened in the world in the past 10 days. Uh, it's oh, yeah. heated up again in, in, in Israel. So I thought it would be a good uh, chance for us to talk about some of the things that relate to worldview as it relates to the Israeli situation and Egypt and all that's going on in the Middle East. What do you think, Bob?
1: Well, I think the Middle East is going to be the epicenter of all that happens in the days ahead. And up until the very time of the end of history. Now, you and I both know that uh, a worldview affects how people view history. And we are committed to the idea that history is an important uh, topic to discuss and current events is just history in the making. So what's happening in the Middle East right now has profound implications for America and for all of our individual lives.
0: Well, you know, if you go back two, three, four thousand years and you'll see that problems have been occurring in that particular area. That's kind of been the hotbed of problems throughout the world periodically. But in more recent years, you can go back to 1948 when there was a major change in the Israeli situation relative to uh, the the, the Arab nations, and then again, of course, uh, in 67 with the with the conflict at that point in time, the Six-Day War, but, you know, now we're seeming to be on the verge of something that parallels that right now.
1: Well, you're exactly right, Ross. Of course, you're referring to the 1948 um, time when Israel was established as a national homeland for the Jews, and this, as you know, was really a an outworking of the Balfour Declaration that took place in British Parliament uh, back in 1917. I mean, the, 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 uh, the British controlled the Middle East, at least that part of Palestine. and They made a promise to the, to the, uh, the Jews living in, um, in Great Britain and really around the world that uh, they would work toward establishing a homeland for the Jews in Palestine. Of course, that became a reality, as you know, in 1948 in the midst of a lot of war and conflict. And that conflict is continuing to this very day as you and I speak uh, we're in the midst of a very shaky, temporary, short-lived, hopefully it's going to be long-lived, ceasefire, the most recent escalation of conflict between uh, Israel and Hamas, the the uh, the Gaza Strip, the Palestinian uh, peoples there in the land. And there's been about a couple of weeks of fighting here at the end of 2012. And who knows where it's going to go, Ross? It's, it's probably going to, not going to be the end of hostilities, is it?
0: Well, it certainly hadn't been for thousands of years. And you, you talk about a ceasefire, Reagan, of course, much later than these conflicts started. But Reagan said trust but verify. And I think that's exactly what's happening now with the ceasefire. They say that they're having a ceasefire, but the guns are still in place.
1: Absolutely. And nothing
0: has changed. I mean, the Gaza Strip is, is replete with a tremendous amount of firepower. And, you know, if you look at the map, the, the Gaza Strip, is an, it's interesting that the Gaza Strip is along the northwestern border of Israel and it's separated from where the Palestinians have their, have the most of the people who live in the Israeli nation there. Uh, so it, it's, it's really interesting if you look at the geography and look at the politics and look at the risk level to, to see the dispersion of people throughout that land. And you can look at this in a lot of different ways. You've got to look at it from a socioeconomic standpoint, from a political standpoint, geopolitical standpoint, because it's not just the Arab-Israeli conflict. It's really a, a worldwide, could have a worldwide effect. Uh, and then, of course, there is the religious, which is, I believe, the core of all of what's happening over there. And you're not going to solve the problem simply by solving the geopolitical or the socioeconomic issues that are there.
1: Well, You're exactly right about that. And, of course, solving the, the, uh, the problems of the Middle East is way above mine and your pay grade. But one of the things you and I keep coming back to on this show, and you just alluded to this, is that everything going on, not just in the Middle East, but really in all of our lives, be it geopolitical, socioeconomic, historical, I might use a big seminary term for you, with you for a moment, eschatological, philosophical, science and technology. All of these things are related to worldview because how we think about the world, how we view the world, those eight questions Ross, you and I keep coming back to in our show all of those things including religion really dictate how we think and how we solve problems in the world around us and so our worldview really does matter and that's certainly true in the Middle East because you've got these three uh, these three theistic religions sort of in the in the in the center of all this conflict you've got Islam you've got Judaism and you've got Christianity all packed in there tightly and a in a, a, a nation state about the size of Wales, it's not that big a place geographically, but it's sure a big place in terms of how current events are shaping up around us.
0: Yeah, you look at the geography. It's uh, Israel is bounded on one side by the ocean. Uh, it's bounded on the other side by by Egypt and Syria, and uh, so there. It's just a tiny little place geographically, but it is at the conflux. The the center, really, of uh, socioeconomic, political, geopolitical, and religious undertones of uh, the entire world. And that's where the focus has been. And that's where the focus has been uh, for thousands of years, quite honestly.
1: Oh, you're exactly right. The the conflict between Israel and the, uh, and the peoples on that southwestern strip, that Gaza Strip there. Really, can, you can trace that conflict all the way back to the days of the Philistines when King David and King, uh, and, and Solomon and other kings of Israel back you know, 4,000 years ago and more uh, fought some of these same battles. And if we read our scripture, or at least our biblical scripture accurately, we see that these things are going to continue until the very end of the age.
0: Now that's interesting because we talk about ceasefire and we talk about them continuing to the end of the age. Those things seem to be diametrically opposed, so just how lasting can a peace be? Do you continually seek after peace? Obviously, the the politicians and the military people they want a peaceful coexistence as best they can possibly have it, and many people don't look at this from a religious standpoint, Uh, but uh, all these things are mixed up. It is really a mixed up pot that you have to deal with, and Netanyahu, he's a no-holds-barred, pragmatic guy, and I believe that he's looking at this situation and saying, the last election in the U.S. has put in question the ability and the willingness of our main ally to help us. So we may have to go this alone.
1: Well, I think you're bringing up a good point, Ross, and it gets back to the center of what our show is all about, that you know, worldview does indeed affect political systems and socioeconomic systems. And uh, as of right now, as of the this particular time in history, the United States is the only substantial ally of, of Israel. Now, you could argue that Great Britain is in some degree, and some of the other Western European nations might be, but, but the United States has been the ally that has stood with them through the formation of their of their nation and through the, the hard years of being established as a nation, and we continue to be their primary ally, but there is evidence that the United States is moving away from this commitment. And I think you're right, Netanyahu, I think is probably recognizing this, but behind the political maneuverings is this worldview issue, because uh, the United States of America is moving more and more into a secularist society. You and I talked to one of our former shows about how very evident that we may be becoming a socialist nation. And um, a, a lot of the a lot of the thinking of the average person on the street is why in the world should we involve ourselves, endanger ourselves, if you will, by being involved with the affairs of Israel? Let the Israelis take care of themselves. As you and I both know, uh, the USA is the really only substantial ally that, re- that Israel has. And yet, it, but it seems like that that uh, we're moving away from that. We're moving more and more back to our classic isolationist position. and it seems like as our as our nation becomes more and more secular, more and more committed to uh, to what's best for us and maybe not as involved or informed or committed to what's going on in the in the world around us, that might continue in the days ahead.
0: Well, if you look at the last time we were isolationists, uh, in the period from 39 to uh, December the 8th of 1941, that was a pretty tough period. And we were isolationists during that period of time. However, we were incredibly active as it related to the world conflict because of what was happening in the Atlantic. We were outwardly and politically isolationists, but we were incredibly active in the war. Of course, the Lend-Lease came along during that period of time. Now, if you compare that period of isolationism with today, I think you would see a totally different uh, situation because we, we do have a similar problem in that Iran is building up all the time, and Iran is going to be providing arms, no doubt, to the Arab nation's as it relates to Israel, and well, the Gaza Strip is being fully implemented through Iranian war war efforts and war materials.
1: Well, I think you're making a great point, and and I th- I think to, you know to to move back to the the center thrust of what we're talking about, how worldview is in the middle of all this. During our during our shows, when we talked about Islam. We mentioned the fact that the Islamic world really is divided into into two worlds there's a most most Muslims would call themselves moderates they they might believe in jihad, but for them it's more of a a peaceful jihad whereas there is an an increasing movement toward an extreme view of islam and uh, where jihad is not looked at as a peaceful jihad but as a as a, if necessary, violent jihad. And, of course, when they, the jihadists, especially the extremists, when they talk about jihad, they talk about the eradication of the United States, calling us the great Satan, and the eradication of Israel, who they call the little Satan. And I think it's, you know, in, we're talking about peace in the Middle East. Is it possible? Well, it depends on the worldview that's going to prevail in, uh, in in Islam. If it's going to be a moderate worldview that prevails, there's a possibility that peace for a while could be sustained. However, if the extreme view continues to grow and develop and gain traction there, there's little chance of peace in the Middle East, us, at least in the near future.
0: Well, how do you have a peaceful jihad? <laughs> Certainly jihad is, is in the thinking process, in the documents, of the Islamic world. And so it's hard to think that you would have a peaceful jihad. And the Arab Israeli conflict is certainly being fomented, at least from my perspective, by the Arabs. Um, and if you have that worldview, and if their worldview is that success to them is the annihilation of the other side whereas I don't believe that that's the case with the Israelis. I believe that they want peaceful coexistence. They recognize that that's going to be very difficult, but they're not trying to annihilate
1: the Palestinians. Well, I, think, I think you're bringing up a great point. Uh, I read somewhere recently that one of the spokesmen for Hamas uh, basically said, we have a, a strategic advantage in these conflicts with Israel, because—and here's the quote, as I remember it—we love death like the Jews love life. Mm-hmm. In the sense in which there's a worldview that is supported by the fact that that uh, martyrdom is a one of the highest goals of of extreme jihadists. And so, in a sense, to put yourself or the populace that you're a part of in harm's way, it's not a negative thing, it's viewed as a very positive thing. And so again, this gets back to worldview, though. And I, I want to keep uh, keep reminding our listeners that we do talk political issues here, but only because we are absolutely convinced that all of the major issues of life, including the geopolitical ones, are related to worldview. And here's a good example of that: extreme jihadist Islam. Is committed to martyrdom as one of the ways that you can reach, uh, uh, reach, uh, uh, reach the the next life, reach, uh, reach into paradise with uh, with a sure access to paradise. And we've talked about some of our, uh, some of our other shows about that. So, but Ross, what ends up happening here is you've got these uh, these four or five uh, extreme. Muslim uh, terrorist-oriented groups, Hamas being one, Hezbollah being another, up on the northern border with Syria and Lebanon, Al-Qaeda, of course, which is scattered throughout the world, the Muslim Brotherhood, which is entrenched in Egypt. And now, you mentioned this a moment ago, the nation of Iran, uh, which for all intents and purposes is formed and is continuing to form an alliance with Russia uh, with regard to nuclear technologies. And before you know it, you've got little Israel surrounded on all sides by these animal, enemies that are intent on the annihilation of the Jewish state.
0: Now, enter the religious side of this. You know, we've talked about these particular elements over the course of this show, but we, we talk about socioeconomic and geopolitical. Those two things there's a meshing of those two things, probably in the minds as well as in the activity. You've got another situation, which is safety and security, and uh, obviously it mixes mixes in with the geopolitical. But Netanyahu's in a position where he has to protect his people. Even Obama said the other day. Uh, now, whether he said this tongue in cheek or he said it, uh, it with strain, or whether for whatever reason, he did say that you cannot tell Netanyahu that he can't protect his people, and the Arabs are lobbing grenades and bombs and warheads into, uh, into Israel. You know, if you, you want to look at the geopolitical and the way that it's done on the Arab-Israeli side, it's very clear that they disregard human life even their, their own and their enemies, they don't regard their the human life of their own people any more than Saddam Hussein did. As a matter of fact, they put their their guns, they put uh, their materials close to schools and kindergartens and hospitals. And living space so that if we shoot into those areas and there is, quote, collateral damage, there are people who are not soldiers who are hurt. then they scream bloody murder saying we're killing innocent civilians when it's they're the ones that are protecting their own materials by putting them in the harm in harm's way.
1: But again, all of this goes back to worldview. It goes back to how you view what's going to happen after this life is over, which is one of the, it's question number four, Ross, of our eight questions. What happens after we die? Uh, You know, Jews and Christians have historically held a high view of human life because of their worldview, and some Islamic extremists, extremists, those especially of the of the uh, these terrorist groups that we just mentioned earlier have a very low view of human life in this world and are willing to sacrifice themselves and their neighbors and their neighbors children to further their cause of worldwide dominance, of the the caliphate that's supposed to uh, extend around the entire world. But again, Ross, this goes back to worldview. It is political, it is religious, but behind it is a view of the world, and we have to understand that. And, you know, you, you mentioned something a moment ago that I want to pick back up on, because this also has eschatological overtones to it. And what I mean, some of my readers may not have ever heard that term, but uh, eschatology is the study of the last things or the end times. And you, you, you quoted a verse, you may not have known you were quoting it, but it's a verse from the Bible where people are crying out for peace and safety. Does Netanyahu have a responsibility and a right to protect the Israeli people? Absolutely. Even Obama recognizes that. But Israel is desperate right now for peace and safety. And there are some eschatologists who say that there will be a time of peace in Israel. All of this conflict that we're seeing around us is leading up to a sense of desperation where there will be alliances formed between Israel and her enemies, where there will be a a sense of peace and security through some kind of a negotiated treaty. Will that last? Probably not.
0: Probably not. it, it it will not last for any length of time. Either that is a fact or what we read in Scripture is not true. So any peace that comes is only going to be for a time, which is probably true not just in the East but throughout the world. When you have sinful man, you're constantly going to have conflict. And the attempt by... Certain people to take over certain other people from a because of a economic situations or power or land grabs or whatever. So you're constantly going to have wars and, and rumors of wars, and those things will escalate toward the end times. Well, we you're, making, you're
1: making a, you're making a very good point uh, that that selfishness and greed often. Um, it, uh, not often is always the cause at some at some root point of all the wars throughout history and as long as man is uh, is self protecting and self uh, selfish we're going to see that continue to happen are we not
0: I don't think there's any doubt about that and certainly that's the sinful man is that way because uh, as a believer we in Christ we do believe that Sin comes from trying to put ourselves on the throne, I on the throne, as opposed to Christ on the throne of our life. Well,
1: you know, you're bringing up a point, and maybe some of our listeners are tuning in to the show for the first time, and you and I have been very uh, honest and straightforward, candid about our worldview, which is Christian theism. Uh, we believe that 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 in a Christocentric world, that is, there's going to be a time at the end of history when Jesus Christ, who came at Christmas 2,000 or so years ago, will come back again at the end of time. But here's what's amazing about that, Ross, is all three of these uh, religions that are at the center of all that's going on in the Middle East, all three of these religions also believe in an end-time prophecy, uh, you know, I was reading the other day about, about, um, about when, when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who's, the, uh, who's the, the, the ruler of Iran, when he was before the United Nations, and I've lost track of exactly when this happened, but it was in the last few years, he talked about in the prayer at the end of his, sta- his statement to the United Nations, he prayed that uh, Allah would hasten the emergence of the last repository. And he was talking there, Ross, about the 12th Imam, or the Islamic Messiah, the Muslim Messiah. Christians are looking for the second coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, to come back. And all of there's hopes in this great end of history, summing up of things taking place in this amazingly small geographic area of our world.
0: Well, we are constantly on the lookout as as Christians for signs which indicate uh, the end times and Armageddon. Uh, we should not focus on that. We're to live our lives, I believe, as, as though life will continue forever, but also recognizing that it will end and make sure that we're prepared for that eventuality too. And anytime there's a conflict in the middle east like this we always begin to talk about end times of course peter talked about end times himself and that was 2000 years ago so in god's clock is different from our clock and therefore we can't be sure that even though the signs are there that that this is what we're facing right now end times
1: you're making a great Point. We really have no way of knowing exactly when these end times would come. In fact, I think it was Christ Himself who said that uh, even the Son didn't know the exact time of the of the return of of the of His kingship. Only the Father knew that. But Jesus also said that. And you made this point a moment ago, uh, very very well. That Christians should uh, live as if the Lord you know, would delay for a long time and we should live our lives with fullness and abundance on earth, living out the precepts of the kingdom. But we should also live with one eye on the heavens. We should also live watchful, uh, looking at these things. And I know a lot of our listeners are Americans and many of them are Christians and they're probably like you and I, Ross, wondering what does all this mean?
0: Well, we do. We do wonder what all this means because it certainly... Can point to something that's pretty traumatic, and I believe that the end times are going to be very traumatic for Christians, non Christians, for the entire world. And you know, maybe that's something we ought to talk about in the next show. What does that actually mean when we look at end times? And obviously, Revelation speaks to that, it, it's not an easy book to interpret and understand exactly what happens during that period of time, but it certainly warrants looking into and allowing God to speak to us about those uh, that period of time. And well, as
1: of, as of right now, there is peace. It's a shaky peace in the Middle East, but we also see all of these armies, all of these, uh, uh, whether they're uh, underground armies or above-ground armies, we see all of these, uh, these forces arrayed against one another, and as we read, you mentioned the book of Revelation, as we read that book, we realize that one of the things that will happen at that last great battle is all the armies of the world will find a way to gather together in that small little geopolitical area. It's really amazing how so much of the things we're talking about take place over such a small amount of territory but it seems to be very strategic. Let's hope that the peace that uh, Israel and, and, um, and the Palestinians have been able to forge, uh, well, let's hope that, that peace stays in place.
0: It's really interesting. I, I sat last night and looked again at that map and tried to put myself in that position. I think any time that you have discussions like we're having, and when you write certain things, and I'm the process of writing a book right now, as you well know. And I've had to try to live mentally with the person and in the period of time that I'm writing about, because you can't write abstractly in a detached way. And so I I looked at that map last night. I tried to close my eyes and say, what do you what would it be like here, as best I possibly can tell? And certainly, we're only touching the surface of what it's like to when we do that. But what would it be like to live in that situation? As an as Israeli saying, I look up every morning and I wonder, you know, and I hear the air raid sirens and I feel the fear. It's interesting. I was in, I was in Germany about four weeks ago with a very special presentation that was taking place. And I was in the city hall of a a city that was bombed pretty heavily. So as we began to walk downstairs in this city hall, they turned on the air raid siren in that building that would have been in place if a bomb was coming in to if the U.S. bomber was coming in to bomb that city, and that would indicate that they should go to the air raid shelter. And it was a terrifying sound to hear that because I had seen it on DVD or History Channel type things, and I knew exactly what it was. And even though I knew what it was and knew that it was, certainly there was no one bombing us, for an instantaneous moment there, it just terrified me to... Hear that? So I wonder what it would be like to uh, to sit there, knowing that you could have a warhead coming in to kill you at any moment in time in Israel. You know, Maybe it's think- a great place to yeah. Go ahead. Uh, we'll 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 end on this note, but go ahead, make your point Well,
1: I think that's exactly what I was going to say. I know our, our time's up for this particular show, but you know, I think a lot of people, whether they're living in the land of Palestine or the live they're living in in the in uh, in America these are indeed terrifying times in which we live. And maybe in one of our next shows, we can talk about what role the United States might play based on our worldview in these events that are uh, escalating in the Middle East as the days, uh, as the days move forward.
0: That's a great uh, segue to our next show. Come back and, and be with us, folks. I want to also mention to you that On Big Brains Media, we have five other shows in addition to ours that you could listen to. James Spann's done a great job of putting together a number of shows. He has his show that's been around for some time called Big Brains Weather. There are two football shows, Auburn Unleashed and Bama Talk. And there's also a show with two women called Eavesdrop. And then just talking it up where Crash and Janet... And that's the the longest running show, except for Big Brains Weather, that is on this particular channel. And again, you can get those on iTunes or Stitcher, your favorite uh, podcast app, or go straight to Big Brains Media, and you can hear all those shows, including ours, there. Bob, great to be with you. Look forward to being with you again next week.
1: Thanks. It's good to be with you too, Ross. God bless. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.